Shooter ready. Stand by. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Blue Green Alliance podcast. This is episode two, Stress Inoculation. Our special guest is neuroscientist Justin Smith, and it was really fun talking to him about how the brain processes stress. Uh, He's a brilliant, brilliant guy, and uh, we really hope you guys enjoy it. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to our second podcast. Today, our special guest is Justin Smith, and our topic today is going to be stress inoculation. Uh, Justin, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hey, what's up, guys? My name is Justin Smith. I'm with Tactical Neuroscience. It's the company I started where I took my PhD research in neuroscience and translated it out to military and law enforcement to help work on improving decision under extreme stress. So essentially, when bullets are going both ways, how do you improve and train for performance to be at optimal level uh, under those kind of circumstances? Awesome. And, and really, thanks for coming out here and, uh, and doing this. It's really great to finally meet you. Um, you know, obviously, we've been doing a lot of talking on uh, social media and kind of bouncing off some of our ideas to you. So it's, uh, it's really good to actually have you here in yeah, person sure. and, and doing the podcast. Thank you, guys. Yeah. So uh, just uh, you got to see a little bit of the training that we were doing during the week. Uh, what would you think of that? It's great. It was incredible. Uh, it was a phenomenal experience. Um, and kind of just to get to see some of the principles that Gabe and I have been talking about in action was it was pretty, pretty amazing. Best part is I don't know what I can and can't talk about at that point. So, <laughs> so it's like we can cut all that shit out. <laughs> so Gabe, tell us a little bit about of, uh, how everything's been going on the range and uh, what you guys have been doing so far. No, the course went really well. It was a huge benefit to have Justin out there it's for his his views on the training and what we, what we were doing and the insight that he can provide for us to increase training productivity and how to shorten basically that, you know, initial to ending loop that we're all looking for in programs. Yeah, sweet. So let's talk a little bit about our topic, right? Stress inoculation. Um, I think a big theory across the shooting, you know, industry or world is that uh, train how you fight, right? All the time, putting on a pack all the time, shooting with your kit all the time, or Always that famous thing to me, Gabe Love, is you have to search and assess every time before you fight, right? Or whatever, you, whatever you're going to do. Not PC. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we all know Gabe's opinion on that. So give us a little bit of the understanding of the validity uh, of that, of like that train, how you fight it, always having to induce that stress to being effective. Sure. So I, I think, you know, as we get into the, the world of stress inoculation, the, the fundamental principle, right, kind of how I understand it, how I think about it, and there's you know, different ways to interpret things, but how I think about it is you want to make sure that you're introducing stress in a constructive way so that you understand how you perform under a stress that's similar or potentially greater in a real world scenario, right? And the idea is, you know, you want to activate your HPA stress axis, your hypothalamus pituitary adrenal gland axis. Uh, to, to produce that stressful response. And there's many different ways to do that. And I think how it's used purposefully is where you get kind of things go off the rails sometimes, right? Where people might be overstressing themselves to try and get the performance they're looking for. In reality, they're actually hurting their performance. Um, so that's kind of a starting block. So where, at what point do you, do you induce stress? Like day one of learning where like a guy's trying to pick something up right away? Or is that, is that kind of inhibiting the consolidation period and getting it actually, you know, into, into the brain? Like yeah, how? Well, it's a great question. The way, the way that I think about it is in terms of kind of a, a inverted U-shape diagram, right? Where you have, and I've talked about this before, you can look back to like the Yerkes-Dodson law, um, but the idea of you have performance, 
going up and down on the vertical axis and you have stress going across the bottom axis, right? So as stress increases, your performance increases to a point. And then if you become too stressed, your performance starts to decrease. And at that point, you're, you're essentially inhibiting yourself and your performance is not good. And so when you're in the learning process of picking up a new task, ideally under you know best case scenario, as you're learning it, you want to make, if it's a fundamental new task that you're trying to pick up, like somebody that's brand new to a range that's never picked up a pistol in their life, right? That's already stressful enough as it is. There's no need to stress that person out anymore. They're just that first exposure to that context of having a firearm in their hands, even if it's unloaded and they've never held one before, like that's, that's new and novel. That's a stressful experience. And so I think that's kind of the way to think about how to start layering on stress for the learning process is you want to make sure that you're, you're able to put it in a way where they're not too stressed out too fast. But at the same time, if you get dudes that are operators and they're, you know, it's what they do day in, day out, and it's just kind of like the same old, same old, that's something you need to think about. Like, all right, how do we, how do we work on inducing appropriate stress in the right places to make sure this is a realistic training you know, environment scenario? And then build tasks, you know, then work on tasks that you've already formulated and consolidated in memory under those stressful conditions. Talking to a uh, female recruit today, actually, I was talking to a female police officer recruit who's actually terrified to go into the marksmanship phase of the academy. She hasn't even started the academy, and that's what she's already thinking about. And it's just like, how do we break down that barrier to where she's not completely overwhelmed, where she's not learning anything yeah. on day one? Like, I just like I, w- tips, Gabe, that maybe you've used or or that you actually have um, to to break down that barrier of stress before they even start learning. I think a super good example of the wrong use of stress inoculation is I recently went out to a group that would, had the student's gas mass on the 50-yard line. And basically, whenever the students couldn't meet a time hack to reface their targets or something else, they'd have them throw on their gas mask and run to some, some distance and come back. And they were saying how this is the training for the uh, physiological stressors of combat and something else ridiculous but really uh, when we had the conversation afterwards like you're just pissing off your students like that that's all you're doing you're pissing off your students because it has nothing to do with training whatsoever i think the other conversation after that is there's a difference in in task acquisition and task application where you're giving someone the time to train to a specific task and allowing them to understand like here's the fundamentals and I think it's a huge thing for our program is you're building performance on demand. You're not building, hey, you're gonna be great at Bill Wilson's five by five. You're gonna be great at anything you need to do because you understand the capabilities you need to do. And that's the difference in acquisition and application where Hey, you need to apply it. Okay, cool. We're going to apply it now. But during the acquisition time, that's zero stress. We want that flow to be as clean as possible to get to that consolidation theory that Justin was just talking about. Uh, Justin, is there some sort of indicator that you're ready to induce more stress? Or is there like something that, that you can see that, from that? Great question. So part, part of the way Gabe and I were in this conversation earlier, but the idea is as an instructor, right? One of your roles is to really be assessing your students at all points. And, you know, if you're giving a verbal lecture to somebody, you're talking to a group of individuals, even if you're talking to a friend of yours, you know when you've lost your audience, right? You could tell, oh, they're checked out. Nobody's listening anymore. It's the same way, too, when you're watching your students being like, 
this person's not getting it. They apparently look like they may be a little bit stressed out, right? Same way it's like this guy is just going through the motions. And so from my perspective, it's the idea where just kind of as an instructor, as a you know, teacher, looking at it and thinking about it objectively, okay, not are they doing the exact task, but how do they appear to be doing the task? They look like they're fumbling. They look like they're holding their breath. You know, things that are kind of are indicators of stress, you know, if they're sweating profusely, those are all kind of like really gross things. And hopefully they're not that stressed out. But um, essentially, how's the student doing, right? And if all of a sudden they start to perform really, really well, great. Let's go. Let's add a little bit to that. Let's make it a little spicy, right? Let's let's change it up a little bit. Um, I think the other thing, too, just to comment on the, you know, the gas mask portion, uh, stress defined, right, is this physiological response of your body that's able to, you know, make it so if you have a life or death situation, you are able to perform, right? So you have the adrenaline dump and you kind of have the cortisol, which is the longer release. Um, the adrenaline dump literally is, the, you know, the, the fight or flight moments of, you know, getting your body mobilized to literally fight or flight for your life. And the cortisol kind of engages a little bit afterwards to kind of help, you know, uh, augment that performance for the time needed. Um, so with stress inoculation, you want to make sure you're still doing it in the sense where you have the, the, the appropriate endocrine response happening at the right time, but not for too long and not for too short too, right? And so if you're stressing people out too much, they're going to have far too much cortisol running through their bodies, right? And that becomes, you know, in science, the big word is deleterious. It's a negative side effect very, very quickly. It's uh, a very large word. <laughs> uh, We're looking that up. Actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Get the Google no machine out. No idea how to spell that. <laughs> uh, I don't think I do either, so you're fine. Um, but, but, but that's the idea where you want to make sure you're inducing the stress in a context-appropriate and context-specific environment. And so what do I mean by context, right? That's the idea of, you know, there's external context, like what's the context of happening around you situationally, right? Which is something that as humans, we have these wonderful five senses to bring in the external environment into our brain and make sense of what's happening in the system around us. But context can also be what's happening internally to you as well, right? How are you feeling that day? Do you feel well? Do you feel sick? Did you have a bad lunch? Uh, you know, what's your energy level like? Do you have caffeine in your, on board? Do you, as you usually do, do you drink four monsters a day? You've only had one, right? Where, what's your internal context as well? And so applying stress specifically in the learning and performance side is you want to make sure it's contextually relevant, right? So all of a sudden, if you're like, you know, doing a shooting drill and all of a sudden you're, you're doing like, you know, kettlebell runs, like, okay, that's a little bit stressful, but is it going to make you a better shooter? Somewhat. But is it contextually appropriate to like, you know, performing the shooting tasks any better? No. Are you getting used to running under a gas mask? Yes. So you'd be better gas mask running, but will you be a better shooter? Maybe. I think that's the application thing too, where you have the guys, and there's a lot of programs where I think it's a lot of fun where, you know, you get slayed, you do things with kettlebells or sandbags or whatever it is, and you get your heart rate up and then you go shoot a drill. Hey, that's awesome. Anyone should do that because I think that's a good exposure and that's a that's a good thing to be ex- exposed to, to experience. But that doesn't build your skills in shooting. That's an application, not an acquisition, which I think is, is, a, is a big thing going forward that we should actually explore more in Blue Green Alliance as well. You know, going forward with you as well, hopefully, is that delineation between the two because they get blurred very, very fast. Yeah, I think, and you know, again, from the neuroscience perspective, it's the idea of when you're acquiring and doing the learning process, right, making that as stressful as required, right, so hopefully not too much, and not too little, so that you get it, and then consolidating those memories so that you can perform that task later, and then that's the idea of adding on stress to realize, okay, I know how to fire a weapon, 
Now I know how to fire a weapon when I'm out of breath because I've done, you know, 50 kettlebell swings and how, whatever the time was, and my heart rate's at 125. Uh, I think that's the, that's kind of the, the example, the differences between those. I just want to bring up too, there's nothing wrong with drinking four monsters in one day. <laughs> that's, I mean, I wasn't using anybody's quite uh, healthy. exactly an example, but. Um, so I, I, I like what you said about the application versus acquisition, because, you know, running a few courses too, for us at Blue Green Alliance, you know, we has a few of our students come up to us. They're like, you know, Hey man, like, you know, we just want to be, you know, the guys that show up and, and do the running and gunning, you know, cool stuff. And I'm like, I mean, well, we, we, we can do that, but you're not, you're not learning anything. I'm just really going to be seeing what you already know. And I think like at our courses, we like to run our qual on day one where the student is forced to essentially, they have that little bit of stress. They have to show us what they know, right? Apply it immediately. It's an unknown qual. We don't post it. And then we teach them throughout the course and then they get to shoot it again afterwards. So I kind of like how that a little bit of stimulation is like, oh, you know, I got to shoot this qual in front of all these people that I've never met before on day one. And we see we see really where you're at. Are you really a performance based shooter? Do you really have the fundamentals at a subconscious level or are you faking the funk? And uh, it's, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty exciting to see some of the excuses people have for (laughs) Well, it's that assessment that's, you know, very objective assessment in the sense of how are you performing on day one, cold or not cold, but how, how do you perform? One of the things too, before I forget is the idea we talked about briefly a little bit ago, but relearning or having individuals that can do the task with the fundamentals may or may not be there in a way that's accessible to them, right? They didn't maybe learn exactly the way to do it, quote unquote, the proper way or the most efficient way. And so the idea of unlearning something can be very difficult, right? So uh, we see this sometimes with individuals, especially in sports that have bad habits, right? And so all of a sudden, if you've been playing a sport for five, 10, 15 years, and then, you know, the new, the new technique comes out, it's really hard to unlearn what you know. Uh, another example that comes into mind, um, individuals that are learning their, their third language, right? So if your, your first language is your mother tongue, then you have a second language, right? So learning a second language, depending on if it's before or after puberty is more or less difficult. It's harder to learn after puberty and you have an accent forever. And then to learn that third language, they say it comes easier, but it's amazing because all of a sudden you, when you go to learn the third language, even if you haven't used your second language in a while, it comes back to you instantly. And you're like, I know all of these vocabulary words I've never thought about because I'm trying to remember what are the grocery words for bread in my third language, but in their second language, they're coming back like it's nobody's business, right? And so it's the idea of you're trying to overlay or, or create new pathways, you know, through all of your synapses for this specific application. And, and it's one of those where it's not an easy thing to do. And that's why we see people default back to the kind of their foundational you know, level. And I think that's why doing that qual on the first day is really powerful. So kind of getting what you're talking about, like, isn't that kind of like the neuroplasticity portion of it, right? Like, like what I really enjoy is we force our students to verbalize what they're doing, right? And <laughs> I can't tell you how many times somebody's told me, you're making me shoot worse. And I'm like, all I'm asking you to do is just talk exactly what you're doing while you're doing yeah. it. You know, you've never done that before. Right. So and that's a new task in itself. Right. But at the same time, it lets you know, what are you doing? Because it, because you got, but it's also what I like is it's hard for them. Right. Yeah. So it's forcing their brain to do something different, which I think is what's getting it going. So, I mean, in that, in, how do we do that with a guy that maybe has, let's call it bad habits or has just maybe not bad habits, just, but just years of experience. That's maybe just a little bit different. How do we challenge them and what is the appropriate way to challenge them to make sure that they're, that they're ready to receive new information exactly. and actually consolidate it? Exactly. And so I think 
you're, you're hitting the nail on the head in the sense where how do you challenge it? I would say it's the idea of asking them, do you want to learn a different way? Right. And literally asking them. And if they say no, say, all right, cool. Thanks for coming. You know, have fun doing whatever you want, but we're going to be doing this. Right. And so I think making that a very upfront assessment, one of the things I like to say when I give my tax and neuroscience talks is choice matters immensely in how you perceive the context of a situation. Right. And again, when I start, I don't care who I'm talking to, I give everybody the option. If you don't want to be here right now, you are absolutely free to leave. I think it was Dave Chappelle had the great quote where he's like, I, I get paid for the attempt. I don't have to be funny. Right? <laughs> I'm already paid to be here. doesn't matter if you listen or not. I, I'm here. But I, I literally give everybody that I talk to or that I work with, especially in larger groups, the option. Like, if you don't want to hear what I have to say, fine. Sorry. That's not a good, I don't think it's a good option because what I'm trying to bring is good, great, and information that's really relevant to you if you have bullets flying both ways. But at the same time, making that choice apparent right away. And so people that understand when they come to a course, especially BGA course, it's going to be different. It's going to challenge some of your fundamentals. It might be something that's going to be different and hard to do, and you may not be performing as well as you are with your current techniques. But as you guys believe, right, your techniques will make you a better foundational shooter in applied, in applied settings. And that's the reality where, you know, depending on what you want to be doing with this force, that's what you need to think about too. If you want to be the best paper target shooter in the world, awesome. So yeah, with that being said, um, we, we saw in the past with some students that we had that were verbally against the program, right? And this was, this was in, in the military side of the house when we were running it. And it's almost crazy. And, I, and I'm wondering, I was kind of wondering if what's going on in their brain, because this is people that are, are good shooters, right? But they vocalize like, hey, they think this, is, this isn't effective or whatever, because they maybe weren't. You know, but guess what? You're in the Marine Corps and you got to show up. You still got to show up to work and you still got to do it regardless if you like the program. But we found out like when they started shooting the quals, I mean, they were worse than when they originally showed up. And I'm wondering what, where, where does that potentially stem from where it's like you actually, you legitimately decreased in your ability to perform. And I don't know if that's because they're, you know, their brain shut off for three days and they just were not getting any information or or what that could potentially stem from, and, and if that is a thing or not. Yeah, I mean, it potentially it could be the, the relearning process coming to surface, right? Where, you know, you have to break down what you know, learn a new task, kind of like with the language example. That's why I used it earlier, right? It's all of a sudden, you're really good at what you knew before, maybe if you haven't, if you haven't been using it, but learning a new task or learning a new way of doing things, it is hard. And initially, your performance may or may not be where you were before, but and that's why I think, you know, you guys want to want to make sure you are very clear saying we believe this will make you better in the end. So follow us in this journey and we can get there together. And you may see a slight decrease in performance initially, but we think that we'll get you to a better place, a higher standard afterwards. You know, when we talked about our goal is to create those fundamentals subconsciously. Right. We want to increase bandwidth for you to process information outside of having to use your weapon system, right? I want your speed and accuracy and your marksmanship fundamentals to be a subconscious task. So that way, when you see things in front of you, you're not worried about fumbling with your, you know, weapon system or, or getting it out of your holster or thinking about your front sights. Like you've done that. That all happens innately. So uh, earlier, we having a good discussion on kind of the idea of primary and secondary tasks, right? So a primary task is something that you have to actually cognitively think about to perform. 
right? A secondary task, something that you've done over and over and over again, and even under stressful conditions, you can still perform that secondary task without having a lot of cognitive resources, or you might not even know you're doing it, right? And so uh, example that personally I experienced where I didn't know it happened until afterwards. We were a short story, right? So I was dove hunting with one of my good buddies uh, in South Dakota, and we were on his uh, father's parents-in-law's farm. It was a great day to hunt doves. It was wonderful. And we're, we got into some doves, and they were flying you know, between these tree bands, and we had to take a couple, couple of quick steps, and I fired, I missed, and as I went to fire my second round out of my shotgun, I was pump-action shotgun, uh, I got a jam, and again, went through everything, went, you know, solved the problem, took the second shot, you know, got the dove on the ground. Uh, and he, it was fun because afterwards, this chat with my buddy, he's like, dude, you did all that while you were still moving and watching the dove. And I was like, all I knew was my gun jammed and I had to figure it out. And I didn't think about that. I was still watching the dove to make sure I could still hunt. Right. But it was pretty funny. He's like, I mean, we weren't running, but we were kind of moving very quickly, AKA kind of a half jog, right. <laughs> Try and get these doves. And for me, it was that moment where I was like, Oh cool. I didn't think about that. That was a secondary task for me because my primary task, make sure I track that target of the dove and all the weapons manipulation happened, you know, on that secondary plane that, you know, the, uh, yeah, the secondary plane in the sense where I didn't think about it. It just went. It was kind of fun reaffirming because, again, you practice that, you know, when you're doing all your drills and stuff, thinking, okay, if I have a jam, this is how you go through and solve it. But to see it in the real world was pretty fun. With the kind of the subconscious, you know, ability to continue to do your job, right? Kind of like this this dove hunting story. I think a big part of the military, especially, you know, for me being in a leadership position right now in the military, um, stress is like the test, right? You're always put under stress. Hey, what is he going to do under stress? What is he going to do under stress? But I feel like very rarely are you ever built up to be successful in that situation, right? And that's maybe that's something I'm trying to fix currently, but like, especially with my team, but is, is a test of stress, like what, what the person's doing under stress, a, a legitimate interpretation of, of what they know, right? And, and is there different types of stress, right? Like, is there a difference between taking a test and running a live fire maneuver of range where you're taking casualties. So physiologically, there's no difference, right? The endocrine response, the hormonal response, neurochemical response in your body is more or less identical. What's different is how you perceive that, right? Uh, the idea that, you know, we know that in research world, having somebody give an impromptu speech in front of their peers is extremely stressful. You could spike somebody's stress response more or less instantaneously by saying, hey, Heads up, you're in front of your 20 best friends right now, stand up and give a five-minute speech on this topic, right? Instantly, they're going to go through it. So turning your body physiologically for the stress, that's one thing, right? That's the gas mask run. The difference is turning contextually to make it appropriately contextually. So as you guys train, right, you have role players. You have more or less live fire drills. You know what it feels like to have a blast go off near you. That becomes where it's not stressful anymore. That's kind of the normal part of the job. Where it gets to be stressful then is when the unknowns start to pop up, right? What happens in a scenario that you haven't covered before? And that's where you fall back to your foundational basics and, and want to be able to perform those <clears throat> under those types of stressful events. Um, does that help to answer the question? Yeah, so, so, so essentially the stressful events are just experience. Correct. Right. So you have that experience of, oh, I've had a, a fake casualty like that was pretty realistic or I've oh, I've really done this in real life, like on my last combat tour. It's not 
a shock to me because I was anticipating it. And the, and the difference I would say is how you treat that training scenario. So if you go in and know, oh, these people are getting moulaged up the whole day, this is just a bunch of training, versus if you go in and say, look, I might actually see somebody who has some really nasty stuff going on with their leg, right? Some bad things have happened, I'm trying not to swear right now, Bad stuff's happened. I got to figure this out. If you train with that mentality, you will have a much higher percentage probability of being able to apply those and retain that information, apply that information at a later date under a very similarly stressful stressful, uh, condition or even more stressful potentially because you'll have those foundationals. But that always comes back to the idea where people say, train like you fight, right? Most of us even don't, in the civilian world specifically, we don't train at that level, right? I mean, it's, you know... Is it meaningful? Yeah, the probability of anything of those events happening is extremely low, yet still we want to think that we are somewhat prepared. When in reality, are we or not? <clears throat> that's up to you as the individual to decide. Um, but that's the the other, <clears throat> excuse me, the other thing in neuroscience we talk about, uh, a great story from my advisor is, you know, the stress response is the exact same from the, the physiological perspective as if you're in the, if you're in the woods, you're picking berries, having a great day. All of a sudden, a bear comes around the tree that you didn't see, right? That's an oh shit type of moment. Sorry, I just swore a little bit. That's not, you know, you're, you, are having a, you are absolutely having a stress response at that moment. Now, you're having the exact same stress response when you drive to the airport to pick up your favorite grandma, right? Your body doesn't know the difference between those two, but your brain certainly does. And so that's the part where we're getting into the brain side, right? Your hippocampus, which helps with the place, place and location of when events take place. Uh, that's paired directly with, you know, it's linked directly to your amygdala. And your amygdala is the portion of your brain saying, this is fearful, or this is fearful, this is fearful. And so even though when you're picking up your grandma at the airport, it's not fearful. You're just excited because you haven't seen this person. You have a very strong emotional connection with them. But physically, you're still stressed. Whereas the bear in the woods... You will never forget that berry picking patch for the rest of your life. You will know exactly where you were, probably be able to describe the weather because it was super scary and you now know, hey, there's bears in the area that come along with these delicious blueberries, right? So let me let me ask a little bit deeper on that. Yeah. Is there, what is the difference in actually having to go through the stressful situation and almost like anticipating or visualizing it? Let me give you an example. So... Um, I was just recently at one of our training packages, right? And as a team leader, every phase of the operation, I'm thinking of the worst case, right? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? I'm visualizing it in my head before the mission planning. I'm thinking about it on each phase. What is going to happen if I take a casualty here, if I take contact here, and my brain is going a million miles a minute, and then I get done with the training, the mission went flawless, no, nothing out of the, nor- uh, the, you know, the normal happened, but I'm exhausted. I'm just smoked. Now, even though no stress was induced by the cadre or by whatever the scenario was, I was pretty exhausted. Now, is visualizing it and preparing for it mentally, you know, better or worse or or whatever than actually like, hey, they just gave you a casualty or hey, you took contact. So the the difference is in the perception. So you're working actively with, you know, you're using your, your brain essentially actively to say, what are all the possible scenarios this could go wrong at these different moments and types? And you're working through those and thinking through those, you're actively engaging with that thought process. That takes work, that takes glucose, that takes oxygen. Your brain is working. Uh, it was a, a few years ago, more than a few years ago now, but the, there was a calculation that came out saying that chess grandmasters, based on their caloric intake, they spend around, I think it was like 6,000 to 9,000 calories a day playing chess. <laughs> 
Literally. That's, yeah. That's what I need to get rid of. You'd have to, Let's get you'd the have, chest going. Yeah. <laughs> because they are thinking so intensely for long periods of time during the day, right? It was this amazing. I mean, for me, it was that moment of like, okay, if we think thinking is quote unquote hard, when you all of a sudden have the physiological response, you know, I have to Google again the exact calories burned, but it's a, a massive amount of energy expended just to run this organ inside your head. And so that's the other all reason. Of the all of the calories. But that's the other thing where, as humans, we don't think like that normally. We are defaultly, we can say we're inherently lazy because it's more energy efficient, right? Think about it, if you're a hunter and gatherer. 15, 20,000 years ago, and you're thinking in that, in that mindset of what could go wrong imminently right now, that's exhausting, literally exhausting. And when you know the pterodactyl does fly over and you're too tired to even think about what that could be, you're the one who gets plucked up and taken away and eaten, right? And so that's where, you know, from my perspective, thinking about it kind of on the evolutionary side is how are our systems built to perform optimally? And then building programs and training scenarios around that to meet kind of to meet us where we are as a species, as humans, um, so that we can optimize it and not not making it more complex than it needs to be, but also not making it so that everybody's checked out and almost ready to fall asleep. So going into student development, if stress is induced too early or, um, you know, for whatever reason, right, what is that doing for the development of the student? Is that are they permanently scarred or can we kind of backtrack from it? Like as far as a curriculum goes, like let's say you have 15 students online and 14 of them are fine. They're ready to go. But you got that one student that's just has a hard time like getting, bringing their levels down and, and dealing with the problem they have in front of them. How do, how do we gauge that? And is there any developmental issues that we should you know, take into consideration with, with that particular student? Yeah, I think if possible, work on isolating them out, right? And say, hey, look, we're working on building stress in this program at this moment. We think we're doing a very good job with you, right? You're having a little bit too much, more than we anticipated. Uh, let's work on combating that, right? How can we get it so it's not as stressful? Um, tons of tons of techniques to kind of employ at that point. One of the simplest ones, again, one of the things that when you say it, it's like, oh, that sounds really easy, is breathing, right? Are you holding your breath? Are you controlling your breath? Are you thinking about your breath? You know, are you working on taking enough oxygen in your system so you're not hyperventilating, but you're also not holding your breath? One of the first things you do under stress, most individuals, it's even shown in like, you know, if really efficient and proficient written exam test takers, their breath rate is like extremely even throughout the whole exam. Whereas most of us, when we get to a hard problem and you hold your breath, right? You don't think about it. I just skip that question, go to the back and then <laughs> work my way from the back of the test sure, to that sure. te- question. But, but that's the idea where, it, you know, it's even some of those really, you know, quote unquote, simple things to do to identify how is, how is this student performing? I had one other point to make there, but I don't remember what it was. So I'll have to come back to that. Gabe, um, dealing with not only the Marines, but being our lead instructor here at BJ, like what are, what are some things that you're, you're seeing with, uh, maybe students that are, that have a hard time managing the stress and kind of, kind of piggybacking off of what he's saying is like, you know, what have you seen as far, I guess, on the line, as far as guys that, that maybe aren't ready or are having difficulty managing it? You know, I think the, the biggest thing with the military side of it is I don't think really any new shooters feel overwhelmed by the program that we have running. It's layered very well. Honestly, the the issues come from shooters that have been through previous packages. They come back and we've, we've already hit it on the head. They're like, you want me to say words and shoot simultaneously? And I'm like, yes, it's super easy. And they're like, no, it's not. And asking them to do a primary task with the fact that they can already do the secondary, but now we're tying it together. We're linking it because we understand that, hey, you know, 
for overall program development and overall student development that if you can do this simultaneously, it's going to hardwire to your secondary skill set faster is where they're really having this issue because like, well, I can do this already. And I'm like, ah, well, you probably haven't been in that high stress situation yet. So can you really do it? And in a training environment, you're limited on what you can do. And if you could put them in that high stressful situation where they really are like fearing for their life or concerned, I would be willing to bet that these people that think that they've got it, they don't have it. And then on the civilian side of it, where people are just like, oh, I have to deconstruct my skills to shoot at the speed that you're asking me to. I was like, no, man, you're, you're missing skill sets. Like, that's what you're doing. So if you're struggling with this right now, you are not performance on demand. Your performance for drills that you've practiced. And that's no offense to anyone. Like, there are very, very good shooters out there that can do drills very, very well, better than I ever will be able to. But if someone comes up to you with some, something super simple and you can't do it, that, that's a hole in your armor. That's not you having to reduce your capabilities. That's you showing a lack of them. And there's something, you know, my, my team does dry fire two or three times a week. We know we do the dry fire playbook. And uh, what I've started doing is obviously when I'm running the, the, the playbook, I'm in front of the line and, I, and obviously we're all dry, right? And, you know, the weapons are cleared, but I'll choose a guy random who I think is faking the funk or maybe, you know, whatever. And we'll maybe, maybe it's the reloads of the dry fire playbook. And I start the drill and I sprint at him and I just run straight at him and he starts backing up as fast as he can and fumbling with his gun. And I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, I I don't know, man. You started running at me. And I'm like, well, get your gun up in the fight, right? Like when you want to, you have a gun in your hand, when you want to use it. And it's, it's, it's crazy to see just like you know i pick a guy out right and it's just crazy to see that that reaction yeah well i you at that moment you're making it contextually relevant right you know the situation i think you're very clear on what the purpose of the intent of the exercise is and then to put that little kind of you know twang into it like whoa what's happening like dude this could be reality people will run at you with lethal intent what's your job at that moment Making those decisions. I, one other point, too, I, kind of going back a couple points, but the idea where kind of in, introducing stress in the beginning and too much too soon, I, I think especially in the civilian world and, and potentially the military world as well, but civilian specifically is just coming to a class is stressful. Even when they want to be there, they're either excited, like they're picking the grandma up, or they're like, I'm around people that have been shooting a lot more than me, and they're going to be way better than I am. That right there, the baseline stress, is it's like the first day of school stress, right? Where you're going to see your best friend again. You haven't seen them all summer because they're on vacation because they're rich. But now they're back, and you're like, I want to hang out with you. You know, what, you know what's crazy, though, about that is it goes in all directions. I'm pretty I, – I feel very confident in my ability to, to apply the fundamentals of marksmanship. And I remember – our first course that me and Gabe ran, I'm shooting the Blue Green Alliance Qual, really only my second time that I ever shot it. Yeah. And I look him in the eyes, I'm like, dude, I am nervous to shoot this qual because I don't want to screw it up in front of our students. Correct. Like, I don't want to so be the one that blows that it. Yeah. Right? And it's like, you know, luckily, thank God, <laughs> I cleaned it. And But it's crazy because you, you, it, it, what the mind does, it's my course. I'm setting this up. This is my qual. We developed it. We know what we're doing here. And then you step up in front of those people and it's game time and it's time to, to either you can do it or you can't. And I, and I think that's, that's very interesting. Um, so with, with stress and the development of the programs, what is the proper way to layer it? I know we kind of covered it a little bit in the beginning, but 
how what is the proper way to progress through it? Let's say we're starting with a, you know a police academy, a person that's never shot a gun in their entire life. How do we progress appropriately to where we're not inhibiting the learning process? Sure, and this is the I mean again, this is the it's on the instructors at this point because you have to actually really think about where are each of the individual students with their individual stress at that point? Because you can have the guy walking up the street, turns out he's been a hunter his whole life, and he just got on with the police academy and police force, or he's coming out of the military, he's comfortable, right? That's a different person than the person that's coming off the street who has never held a firearm in their life potentially, but wants to do the job and got selected to do it. Uh, so layering it, it won't be a vanilla, you know, spreading vanilla butter all over a piece of bread for everybody. It'll be individually, in my mind, the best case scenario would be individually applied and you'll know the students when they get there, right? That's the idea too, where you'll know it when you see it, like this person's super comfortable and they're very proficient in this drill. We're asking them to do this, this task. Now let's take it to the next level. So, Hey, you're doing a great job at six seconds. Let's get you to five and a half. That's your new goal for you. You, you still suck. You're at seven and a half, right? And not saying it like that, but I mean, it's the idea where kind of thinking about how to layer it in. So it's, it's meaningful and intentional but it's not, you know, a bulk like, okay, here we go. Unless this is the other example too, unless you do have standards to meet, right? So potentially more for the military application, then it's all right, this is the new standard. Here we go. I think something that's different about Blue Green Alliance that I really haven't really seen in a lot of other places is we do one to one instructor to student ratio through our shooting. Every round fired is observed by an instructor. Okay. Can you identify whether or not a person is reacting well to stress based off of shot? impacts on a target. What I'm asking, I guess, is you see all, you see the normal, you know, I would say the industry norm is get as many paying customers online as you can, tell them to shoot the drills. Then you look at the impacts and you're like, oh, you're, you're anticipating, right? Or are you this or that? Can you identify if a person is, you know, handling stress well by just impacts? Part of my answer, I think, when I think about, you know, how to respond to that question is yes, partially, but then you ask the student, like, did you luckily hit both, you know, three of those rounds where you wanted to go or did you place them there? And I think that's the beautiful thing about human beings. We can talk to each other using language, right? So you can ask them, how many of those shots were lucky? And if they can look to the eye and say, none, that's where I want them to go. Great. But if they're kind of, you know, wincing and just popping rounds off, you can get lucky and put three in the right spot. And, and that's the part where, you know, as an, as an individual structure, instructor watching each individual student put their rounds on, ideally you'd be able to pick that up. Be like, look, you hit the target where I asked you to. But I don't think you did it with full intention. I think some of those, you know, it's easy to see a pulled shot. It's it's hard unless you ask the student, you know, you, the three rounds where I asked you put them, is that where you wanted them to go as well? Or are you just kind of winging it? You can ask any of our students. We don't look at their shots for like the first the first day and a half. I mean, it, it depends on length of the program, really. But if I had the time to do it where, no, I'm going to spend a day or two just looking at your mechanics. Like, are you, are you moving how we need you to move? Are you, you're doing what we need you to do with that, with that machine, that weapon in your hand. And if you're doing everything you need to do there, I know the rounds are going the right place. Unless you just wazooly don't understand like what side alignment side picture is. And then that's its own separate problem that we can fix. But if you're doing the proper mechanics of, are you gripping the gun? Are you using the trigger the right way? Like the rounds are going to go where they're supposed to go. Well, Justin, I just want to say again, you know, thanks for, Thanks for everything you've been doing for, for us here at Blue Green Alliance. Thanks for coming down here today and talking to us kind of about this topic. I think this is just a fascinating topic that, I mean, really, we could talk, I mean, hours, I'm sure. I mean, your profession is just, in fact, this. Just how does the brain handle all of these problems ahead of us? But once again, thank you so much for coming out here, kind of giving us some wave tops and talking about 
you know, some of the combinations we have, whether it be in the Marine Corps or in the private sector with Blue Green Alliance. Um, yeah, I mean, I really appreciate you coming out here. No, I, I appreciate the opportunity. And it's one of those where anytime I get to, you know, lend this knowledge to the individuals that will be able to apply it and use it as humbling for me is, you know, the polite way to say it. Uh, it's, it's definitely beyond a passion. It's something where, you know, personally and professionally, I'm absolutely involved in making sure that we're training our individuals to the highest level and standards. Uh, one of the ways too, before I forget, I would say, if you want to get a hold of me, uh, feel free to hit me up on Instagram. I'm at tactical neuroscience. And then also I've got a website, uh, tactical neuro.com. Uh, those are two great ways to get in touch and, uh, look forward to connecting with everybody. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks again, everybody, Gabe, Justin, and we'll see you guys next time. Appreciate it. (laughs) 